Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, I am your co-host, Dallas Montague. Today we have another guest, Sally Ankerfeld, and she is an adoption coach, a co-founder of a ministry called GIFT, Growing International Families Together. That is GIFT, Growing International Families Together. It's a family service, and she's a transformational coach, a founding coach, and an empowering women's leader. She is very energetic. She's a committed professional coach, and she has over 19 years of personal adoption experience, including the international, transracial, and older child adoptions. Sally brings with her an open, down-to-earth style that affirms the gifts of each person as well as the unique gifts of each family. And the interview today, I'm very excited about it because she has such a wide range of qualifications. She wrote a book called Reimagining Adoption, and she has so much to offer us today, so much wisdom to bring to us about adoption in the Christian world. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear from her today. Before we begin, I want to give a quick story of God's dreams for our life. This is a message that I preached for an English service actually here in in Brazil. And so usually if you don't know, they speak Portuguese, not Spanish. So this message was actually an English service. And so the theme of the service was just living God's dream for our life. And the message that I brought was talking about 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and it says, the beginning, I'll read it for you. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. And it continues on, lovers of money, pride, arrogant, abusive, and continuing. But I want to leave on that point that says lovers of self. And in the past, we had a word that described a person who loved themselves. They'd like to talk about themselves. They like to always focus on themselves. And we called it narcissism. Today, we call it Facebook. But I just want to talk about the lovers of self. So today, we have our phones. We have Instagram, Facebook for social media. And they're an amazing thing. They're a great thing for us to connect, to see people that we don't talk to often. But it can also be a very bad thing. It it steals our focus. It steals our attention. And I think it's common today for us all to be in this place called selfie mode. And in this selfie mode, it's common for us to always look at ourselves, what we can achieve from a situation, how we can be benefited. Even into the church, we carry it into the church. We go into church thinking, oh, I hope they play a song that I like. I hope I can sit next to someone that I enjoy. I hope they the message speaks to me directly that it just really changes my week. You know, and, and this Christian life becomes about us. But I really want to just shift our perspective today that whoever's listening to this, that it's not about us. The reason why we are Christians today is not because of us. It's not to serve ourselves. It's to serve each other, to serve others, and to serve God most of all. It's all about Jesus. That's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why he died. It's because of him. It's because of him. And so what I want to share with you today, this, this little point I want to give you is that to live God's dreams for our life, we need to be in a position to receive it. And we can't always focus on ourselves because when we focus on ourselves, let's say that you're using your phone and you're taking a picture of yourself on your phone and all you see is yourself, right? 
we're focused on our own image. But if we turn the camera around to the other side, we're looking at other things. And when you have your camera turned around to the other side, you can no longer take a picture of yourself unless you turn the phone around, of course. But that's not the point of my, my story. What I'm trying to say is that we need to be focused on the things around us. And if we look at heaven, there's no cameras in heaven. There's no mirrors in heaven. Of course there's not. But what I'm trying to say is that why would we want to look at ourselves when Jesus is so pure? He's the light. He's the one we want to look at, right? So why would we do it here on earth? On earth as it is in heaven is what we pray. And so with that point is that we need to stop focusing so much on ourselves, how we can please ourselves, our situations, but look at everyone else and have a heart to love other people. In this podcast today, Sally talks about adoption and that it's not about us. The adoption process is not about us, but it's about the child. It's about the individual. And so I think that's a really good point that she shares today. And I look forward to you hearing about that. One last thing that I want to say is that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each person has a gift. And you may think to yourself, if you don't, if you haven't read this yet, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about the spiritual gifts. And if you're asking yourself today, what is my gift? You know, what am I gifted in? What do I have? And I think so many times we don't know what our gift is because we're focusing on ourselves. We say, God, give me a gift, right? Give me a gift. And we don't know what our gift is because we're not focused on the common good. We're focused on ourselves. But it's not for us. We have these gifts and we receive these gifts for the common good. And so the last thing that I just want to say to you today is that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. Before we begin with Sally's podcast, I'm going to open us up in prayer and then we will get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, for this platform, for the podcast, for every single listener that we have. God, I just pray that you open up our hearts today to receive. Open up our eyes, open up our minds for our perspectives to be changed. I pray that the words that Sally brings today touches our hearts, that encounters us. God, that gives us a revelation, that gives us a deeper intimacy with you, God, that as we go into this podcast today, that we leave differently than we came in, God. I love to pray that. I pray that we we leave differently. We leave with a different perspective. We leave with a heavenly perspective at the end of this interview today, God. And so I just pray that you go before us, Father, and you prepare the way for us. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. You were designed by God for a unique purpose. At this point, nothing could be done about your wasted years, but something can be done about your future in Christ. Your purpose is divine, and there is a time to everything, says Solomon. God has a plan for you. In Esau Jasper's new book, Finishing on Time, Roadmap to Kingdom Success, he introduces us to a powerful way to discover our purpose and insight into strategies for living the triumphant life. Esau Jasper's new book is available on Amazon. Pick up a copy today. Ready to jumpstart your career? Want an adventure of a lifetime? Uncle Sam's International is looking for language teachers who are highly motivated and have what it takes to grow and expand their thriving ESL school in Brazil. We need teachers for English, Spanish, Italian, and more. Visit Uncle Sam's International on Facebook today. Sally, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me today. It's great to have you. I'm excited. I've looked over some of this content that we have today, and there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'm looking forward to it. Sally, if you could just take the next five to 10 minutes and share your Christian testimony with us. 
Yes, well, I gave this some, I gave this some thought. Um, I am a lifelong Lutheran. I grew up in the Lutheran Church. Um, I totally enjoyed being a part of a Lutheran Church family over my growing up years. My dad is a Lutheran pastor. He's now retired, um, and so the church itself was our second home. We I would say dwelled within the church community, even when we didn't quote unquote have to be there. We enjoyed being around the church. And I would say right around grade 10, I felt a calling to become a Lutheran pastor. And it was kind of a scary experience for me because it came upon me. It was as if uh, I heard, it wasn't really a voice, but I certainly heard a strong sense of call. And I had an opportunity to ask um, one of the interns, I said, I, I feel like maybe I'm being called to be a Lutheran pastor. And she said, well, how, how does that feel for you? And I said, well, it's it's scary on the one hand. On the other hand, it is it is as if a butterfly settled on my heart. It was like my heart was both scared and yet very at peace. And uh, she said, it sounds to me like this may truly be your calling. And I had done some work theologically in what we call confirmation class, Christian education in 10th grade. And uh, I had some feedback about what I had written, that I had a theological mindset. I I saw the world in a way that uh, translated things into how God might be present in the world, in my own experience and others' experience. And so from that time on, I contemplated being a pastor. When I got to college, I think many of us have those times when we begin to doubt our faith. We ask deep questions. And when I was a freshman in college, that definitely was the case for me, where I was wondering if, you know, God really was present, you know, if Christ truly was Christ in the world, um, really a, truly a person who lived and died and rose again. I had a professor at seminary. I went to him and I said, he was a theologian. I said, I am really struggling with my faith right now. I'm really doubting this call that I felt that I had. And he said, well, then I know precisely where you need to be. You need to be at seminary. And so that's what I did. I went to seminary right after college, a Lutheran seminary, and I decided I would see how it would go. And I never looked back. And for me, um, throughout, when I look back, this is way back in 1988. It's hard to believe that it's already been that many years that I've been thinking about this. Um, I went to seminary in 1988, graduated in 1992. And what became clear to me was when I distilled it down, I felt that within the call within my call was to help people see their worth in this world. They didn't even have to practice the Christian faith, but whomever I encountered to help them see that they are valued by God. And then eventually for many people to hopefully have them see that Christ's love is core and central and for them. And that's really what I have been about. I've been a Lutheran pastor now for, I don't, I had to have to do the math, but I think it's like 26 years at different churches. And I've also raised a family uh, in the faith. And my husband is a Lutheran pastor as well. So for the last 14 and a half years, we have job shared one call in the Lutheran church. And then the other half of the time, we are home with our kids because we wanted to have that commitment with our children to be able to be present for them because we knew that being a pastor is a very demanding job. And it's a 
24-7 job, both of us had our own calls. We most likely would not have had time to be there for our kids if they got sick or needed us in other ways. And that brings me to today. And here I am still serving at a church and also doing adoption coaching. Wow. That's really unique. And you went to seminary for how many years there? Four years? Right. In the Lutheran Church, we have four years of seminary. Three, it's a theological instruction. And one year of that four years is an internship where we are out in the field, working in a church, learning how to actually be pastor on the ground. Yeah. That's great. I have a question. So my first question is, what inspired you to choose adoption and foster coaching? Why that field? I know that you had that heart for people, but why to take the counseling route and the adoption route other than just being a pastor? Well, adoption is something that's in my family. My sister was adopted. Uh, I grew up in a family where adoption was a part of that experience. And I also have three children and all my three children, I received them through adoption. I have one child who we adopted at age 16 months, and that child is from the Philippines. And my second child is from the United States. We adopted that child at six weeks old. And then my other child was adopted at age 12 from the foster care system in the United States. All three of my children are children of color. And so I became very, very interested in helping helping people through the journey of adoption. And I became super interested in being with people after adoption, especially families who might be formed through transracially, have kids from other races within their homes. So when I began to see that parenting and being an adoptive family, parenting and um, helping children be raised, raising kids and being sensitive to the complexities and joys and challenges of being an adoptive family, I realized how different it can be from other family constellations. And that gave me great desire to help other people in that regard. And you have written a book about this as well, right? Yes, I have. I'm an adoption coach with Gift Family Services. We are a coaching company of four women currently, and we help families before, during, and after adoption. And one of my colleagues, Gail Swift, and I were so committed to bringing a new message of adoption to the Christian church that we wrote a book called Reimagining Adoption, What Adoptees Seek from Families and Faith. And we wanted to get the message out there to Christian families and Christian churches of all types about the complexity of adoption and how more information given to families in Christian communities, congregations, even um, denominations, how that can really help have our children feel supported, included, and loved. And you said reimagining. The title of the book is Reimagining. And you guys also won an award in 2019 the Gold Royal Palm Literary Award, right? That's correct, yes. So reimagining. So what do you think the church and the, the Christian world, you know, has done incorrectly for you guys to reimagine, if that makes sense? Yeah. I would say, um, first of all, before I say anything, to say that the Christian church in general has 
done its very best in understanding scripture and understanding our mandate to help the orphan and the widow and our understanding of other scriptural references. We've done our we've done our very best in wanting to reach out and help people and especially kids who need homes. So our intentions have been out of love and care. What we have begun to discover is I think that the church has maybe focused without knowing it more on our understanding of secular adoption versus what is really in scripture on what kind what what the place that adoption has in the Christian church. Uh, we we would like the church to rethink how it is understanding what adoption is and when we have a new understanding of it, we will most likely realize that we can serve adoptees and first families, birth families, we will be able to serve them even better than what we're doing right now. And what would you say is the biggest difference between the Christian view of adoption and the secular view of adoption? Well, the secular view of adoption is you have a child, most likely a child, who is in need of a home. And that view is that then you find a new home for that child. And that child then becomes a member of a brand new family. And they most likely are not engaged with very often, but this is changing somewhat. But their new family is the primary family. And that old family, especially in the past, was just to sort of be forgotten. In fact, there was this idea that it was more harmful to the child to even have to think about that first family. But this is your brand new family. And for Christians, that sometimes came with an understanding of being adopted in Christ Jesus. So meaning that we don't need to know our first families because now we are adopted in Christ Jesus. So the secular part of it was that uh, Christian organizations like um, Catholic Charities, Lutheran social services and other organizations that helped with adoption often took that viewpoint that it's better to forget about your first family and just to move on with these new families. And so that's the secular view of adoption. And for Americans, there's also this message that kind of comes through. And I I actually had this feeling myself, especially with my first child, that I could give my first child something that was much, much better than that my child would have gotten in the Philippines, that I was going to give that child better opportunities, better love, safety, all these different things. And so there is there is that that happens sometimes too in the church where we kind of adopt that view that the United States and a child should be lucky to be able to come here if they are from another country. That's a secular worldview. That's not what I would say is a Christian worldview. Yeah. I like what you said about how it's about Christ. You know, that helps us to refocus and revision what adoption really looks like, because that's the truth. Really, we've all been adopted. Yeah, we've been adopted in Christ Jesus. And that that means, you know, Romans 8 is a very common text that is brought up when it comes to secular adoption. So what I'm saying is when we think about adopting a child from another home, you know, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So that text. Well, that text, um, when you look at what was happening in, the, in, the, in that time for the Romans, there were a lot of Roman authorities and people in the higher echelons of the Roman government who some 
sometimes did not have an heir to the throne. And so what they would do is they would ask and find somebody to call up to become their child, to be an heir to the throne. And the families who might have a child called up to become a child of the um, higher authority figure, they would uh, actually rejoice in that. And they would often receive also benefits from the inheritance. They would visit their children. There was not a disconnection between the adoptive family, we could call it, and the first families. In fact, they became uh, sort of extensions of the higher authorities' family, so to speak. And so when Paul in Romans says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, We and he talks about inheritance, somebody in that time would have thought about that practice, that practice of calling up and lifting up somebody to be an inheritor who normally would not have received that inheritance. That is a very different, he was using that analogy to be able to say that all of us, because we are God's children through Christ Jesus, all of us have received that same calling up. We've been called up and now we are heirs. We are inheritors of whatever Christ Jesus has given us, including eternal life. So it is an example of the spiritual relationship that we have in Christ Jesus. It has, in my opinion and many other people's, it does not have anything to do with a child who does not have a home being called forth and adopted. That's a secular experience. This is a spiritual experience that we all receive. So that means that uh, that people who are live in their birth families, people who are living in adoptive families, people in foster families, anybody can cry out and say, Abba, Father, to Christ, to God through Christ Jesus, because we've all been adopted in Christ Jesus. Do you see what I mean? So it's it's a, it's a separate experience from adoption. And so when we collapse the two, it can be a heavy burden on a child because it really, that child is God's child no matter where that child grows up. And so it's really not, it cannot be equated with secular adoption. I definitely see what you mean by reimagining the adoption. Yeah. Now I'm being completely honest. This is amazing content and it's very deep and very powerful. Yeah. Well, and the other scripture about caring for the orphan and the widow is another one that maybe is a little closer to thinking about the needs of a human being in relation to society, which then is more of thinking more about what do we do as Christians when we see the orphan and the widow. And that too, it's it's an and care for the orphan and the widow. And we know that back in the day, a widow who has a child very well could suffer and have no no really way to survive. And so to care for both of them so they can be together and survive was something that was, it is, it's a biblical mandate for all of us as Christians to care for the orphan and the widow. And so in our book, we say, let's really, really be careful and make sure that an orphan truly is orphaned. And 
And let's take a look at putting some emphasis on making sure that society, and this could be in our country or in other countries, but that the society is moving closer and closer to equality and um, offering opportunities so first families can stay together. And then as a last resort, we, we say God can work in and through secular adoption when there truly is an orphan that needs a home. And a lot of churches, in fact, are really waking up to this and doing quite a bit with this, where they are putting not only their money towards um, adoption, but they're putting their money towards making sure that there are safeguards in place in other countries and also in the United States to make sure that we tend to the orphan and the widow. And you said that you've had experience with adopting. You have four adopted children, children, you said? I have three, yep. And and then I have a sister, too, who's adopted. Wow. So firsthand, adopting families and those things firsthand, what has that taught you in your field of work and ministering to people, doing those types of things? How has that really helped you and shaped the way that you see adoption? Whether our children are birthed to us or adopted in, into our homes, the feeling is the same. When we see our child suffering and hurting, The very it's the very last thing we want to see. And when I started to see the pain that came from my children's painful adoption experience, because adoption is a huge loss. You know, when you hear your child say, "What? but what? where is my mom or where is my dad? What happened? Why am I here? Um, why didn't they want me? Or what, what happened? That's a painful, to watch a child have to live and think about those things. Nobody, nobody would want that for their child. Nobody would. And since you're talking about that, if you can kind of tie this into your answer, when is the right time to tell that? You know, that's a really difficult situation there as well. When is the right time to talk about that situation, to break the news, or if they already know, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, I I certainly lean on a book called um, Telling the Truth to Your Adoptive and Foster Children. Can't remember the name, the author on that, but she asserts, and I this is what I've done with my own kids, that you you tell it in age appropriate ways all throughout their life. You you get children's books. My Gail wrote a great book. My co worker ABC Adoption and Me. Um, that for little kids, you weave it through their life and you tell them in a way that you believe they would be capable of handling their own story. And so that means that now this is barring their there are some there are probably some circumstances where if a child has maybe some cognitive development issues or something like that where you'd have to maybe tweak it a little bit but for the most part the story you tell the story and you add to it as they get older and start understanding it uh, but the author of that book recommends that by age 12 barring any major cognitive and emotional situations that that child knows their complete history insofar as you know it so that and that has worked well for me. And some of a few, well, all my children have difficult, very difficult beginning stories and experiences of their beginnings. And they're all different. And um, if I didn't know that I should be, that that was the recommendation, I might have been inclined to try to spare them from knowing that because I wouldn't want them to feel more hurt. Uh, but I think that's natural for us too, right? We want to protect them, save them from the past. Yeah. 
Well, and here's the thing, and I've done this too, so this is me too. I, I've come full circle. But the temptation as a Christian person is to say it was God's will that you were adopted. God brought you to us. And that is instinctual for us, I think, because we want it to be okay somehow. We want to give this adoption experience a higher purpose. But what happens is when we say it was God's will, that that opens up a lot of issues for our kids. It's like, do you think God really didn't want me to be with my first families? Well, why would God have me be born into them? Or how, and I say to myself, how do I really know if it's God's will or not? I'm not even a person who should be saying that to them. Now, I can say to them, this is really painful, and I don't know why this happened exactly, but I can tell you that I believe that God can work through all circumstances, including this one. And that's not to minimize your pain, my dear child. That's a lot of wisdom there, you know, because it's different for us to be like, you know, this is God's will, but that's right. kind of dangerous at times. You're right. Pain. That's yeah, that's a dangerous or to say, well, honey, um, you were really lucky. You know, some people might say that parents don't tend to say that, but others might say that to the family or to the child. Oh, you're lucky to have been put into this family. Um, you know, God, God gave you a wonderful family here, your adoptive family. That's another one. That's a really, um, we did interviews with adoptees for this book. And those were the two, one of two of the biggest, painful experiences they've had with the church are those very things where people have said this is God's will and where people have said you should feel lucky because there really is nothing and I wouldn't want that for myself or my own kids to be separated from my first family why would I want that and think it's lucky for anybody now God can can create wonderful things uh, out of pain but it's not a lucky situation or blessed what is the best way to serve vulnerable children and their families? Well, I would say, first of all, that churches and individuals can work for justice and equality wherever they are at so that we have fewer people who are in need, fewer children who are in need of adoptive homes. That would be the first thing I would say. Um, I think that um, we could put the children first, make their experience central as people and as Christians, and really listen to their experience, listen to their pain, withhold responses that might feel to them as sugarcoating, like withholding these thoughts of trying to make it better by saying it, it's God's will. When an adoptive family comes into our congregations, I would say that we are um, very informed people. There's lots of things out there now for congregations. This book is one of them that we wrote. That's one reason why we wrote it. That can help people in churches be there for families, adoptive families and their, and their kids. And for me, I would say really think about Christ's love as being the center and Christ's love is a sacrificial love that went to the cross for the purpose of reuniting us to God. That's one way to put it. And when you think of that Christ's focus was reunification and reconciliation, then we can have that as our focus first and foremost. We can bring that into our personal lives like we do, and we can bring it into how we respond to the situation of families who are in need, first families who are in need. We can we can do clothing drives or we can support um, new programs in 
other countries that help with people to make sure they can try to um, alleviate the poverty that leads to adoption. We can do that right here in the United States. We can work towards reform on incarceration because that's actually a big source of family separation is incarceration. So there are lots of things churches can do to keep, try to keep those first families together. But when they come into our space, that we we are people who really listen and um, try to see what they need and how we can respond to that. That's good. This is for all the listeners out there. People who have it in their heart to adopt, people who have a desire to do it or just have had some type of feeling that that would be good. When is the right time? You know, when is the right time to cross that bridge to talk about that? Because I think that it's common for, I'm, I'm only 22 years old, but I've thought about this myself as well. Like, is it common for future parents to want to provide the absolute best and wait until this is taken care of in their life? Like the car's paid off, the house is paid off, like give them the best situation. Um, well, we, I think as Christians, we, we certainly can feel a call to adopt. And so that call may come in many, any time in our life. First of all, there are some things that just technically that our government requires of us to be ready. For instance, they will look at a house. We go through quite a vetting process, I would call it. They, we do home studies and they look at your life, your relationships, all that. They also look at your house to see if you have proper space for a child. They look to make sure you've got fire extinguishers, smoke alarms, things like that. But it doesn't have to be a big house or anything like that. It needs to be a safe house and it has needs to be a solid, loving family that they're looking at. Um, so there's really not a best time, I would say. What I would say that a person can do even more than getting a really good car, although they'll ask for you to have car seats and make sure it's not like a junker. Uh, but aside from that, uh, what the best thing a family can do, uh, either a single person or a couple, whoever's adopting, is to really be informed about adoption, to be to go to the classes, take online classes, read like this book I'm talking about, or there are many other books out there that are really great, like Telling the Truth to Your Adoptive and Foster Child, other books that you can read and you can prepare yourself with skills, with knowledge, and with compassion because that to me is even better than anything be really informed um for instance and that's one reason why we started our coaching company too was to help people prepare because sometimes the best thing you can do is have somebody accompany you through the discernment process i've coached several families and i should say couples who have said are we should we be adopting or not and so i've helped them kind of discern whether adoption was for them and a couple of couples i have helped them discern well what child would we be able to have in our home given our situation or what's out there for us we don't match people but we help prepare people for the adoption experience and that can be really powerful to have it's like a doula for adoption have somebody walk with you through that experience and they can help you kind of decide is this the best time or what do we need to do because it is it's and it's a it can be a very long process and hearing your story and your experiences, what a better person to talk to about this because it sounds like you have a firsthand experience and a lot of knowledge and understanding about the adoption process as well. And Sally, what advice do you have for our listeners who have a passion for foster care and adoption but are hesitant to jumping into it? 
Uh, my advice would be, first of all, I'm thankful that you're hesitant because it tells me that you're taking it seriously. And it tells me that you will be doing good work in terms of preparing yourself for foster care or adoption. So keep that, keep that humbleness about you. Um, bring the humility of Christ into your considerations, into your prayers, and into your discernment. And be informed, get information, and bring bring the love of Christ to the experience in a way, like I said, that is more child-centric than anything that you may or may not need or feel called to do. And that will help guide you in your process. I felt like I was sitting in your office listening to you tell me that. <laughs> That's good. Sally, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Well, I want to thank you for having me very much and for all your time. Is there anything else you would like to speak to the listeners about what we talked about today or anything else about yourself? Thank you for listening, I would say. And if you need to reach out and have more questions, feel free to reach out to me at any time. So Sally, I see here that you have a website called giftfamilyservices.com. Is that still active today? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, on that website, people can look and we have podcasts, we have blogs and other uh, resources on there that people can go and check and look out. We have lots of great look over. We have lots of great topics for people preparing and thinking about adoption and also for families who are in the midst of parenting. We have it all on that website for anybody. All right. Well, Sally, thank you so much for the interview again. And if you could just end us out in a prayer today, I would really appreciate it. Yes. Good and gracious God, you brought us Christ Jesus to make us whole again. I pray that you will grant your grace to all families who might be considering foster care and adoption, instill in them a sense of your discernment and your spirit. And more than that, be with first families, enfold them in your love and care. And for those families who are struggling and in need of help, help us to be a helping hand to them. And for children who may find themselves without people able to parent them, be with them in their pain. Help us to nurture their hearts and be there for them in a way that Christ would be there for them. For truly, we are the hands of Christ in this world. We entrust all these things into your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.